1: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect thinking of the other person. Real friendliness.
0: Hello! And
1: welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where
0: we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we tackle your etiquette questions on merging traffic lanes, sharing office space, inviting back bad guests, and saying sorry for sorry?
0: Sorry for saying sorry? Sorry. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute for the week, and a PostScript segment on setting up your home bar. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post.
1: And I'm Dan Post-Senning.
0: And I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you for taking care of things while I was away for almost three straight weeks.
1: It was my pleasure, but it is so good to be here with you now.
0: It is. I will tell you, I am very happy to be back. It is nice to have a job and a work situation that is actually something that you get excited to come back to because they're fun and interesting things and good people that you work with.
1: It's almost been a full month yeah. since we've sat across from each other at these microphones. and. Oh. In some ways, I was just doing that math in my head and thinking to myself, what a comfort it is, how nice it is to to be here with you actually doing the show the way that we've done the show for almost three years now.
0: I do. I feel that way as well. I'm like, okay, this is my routine. It's funny how when when you're off for a while and you're out of your routine, just how kind of discombobulated that can make you. By the end of last week, I was I was doing a lot of home projects at that point and I was really starting to get to the point where I was like. What is my life? I'm like painting things all day long and digging up a garden and installing events and all this stuff. and I'm like, what how do I I do? am I needed it? Maybe I don't need to answer etiquette questions anymore. Like to, it was like my I was having like an identity crisis by the end of it.
1: Well, we're going to resolve that particular problem. But before we get into all of it, I want to hear a little bit more about your vacation.
0: Vacation? All right. So I was house-sitting for my folks for the first, like, week and a half of it, and I spent my time out there. Beautiful property, really quiet. This is—you want to know what my dream life is? It is quiet. Small house, big land in the country. I don't want to see my neighbors. Like, I like my neighbors that I have now. But I don't want to see anybody. I like privacy. I like quiet. And that was amazing. You know, that that really freeing feeling of like this is safe and comfortable and I could wake up with that morning air. I was waking up at like 6.15 every day and Benny and, and Avery, my parents' dog, would just go right outside. There was nothing to do but I took that week to totally relax, took some great hikes, visited with a couple of friends and then I came back to my house once my parents were back and I went to town, man. I ripped out fencing. I gathered up leaves that I hadn't dealt with. I did all kinds of projects, like painted rooms from the renovation 18 months ago.
1: Those are the projects you're talking about. Those are the
0: projects I'm talking about. And it was really great to get it done. I did have a moment where by, I think, Thursday of last week, it was like, 5.30 at night I'd been painting for like four days straight and I spilled over half a gallon of white paint on the carpet in my bedroom I cried I called my mama and I cried (laughs) like I cried I'm so sad (laughs) I want a partner in life I don't want Forgotten that I happen to own a steam cleaner, like a Hoover steam cleaner thing. And doused, it does. So I scraped up all the loose paint that I could, ran it through a strainer, and then back into the bucket because I'm such a like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I can salvage some of it for like touch up work, you know? Then what you do is you douse the spot where the paint is obviously all in the carpet with. Water, just tons of water. And then you use that wet vac to suck the water up. And it took over an hour and it took many, many gallons of water, but it did release absolutely everything. And there's no spot. I don't need a new carpet. I called my mom and said, I'm okay.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that that also.
0: And then I gave up and I was like, okay, we're finishing off this wall and I'm done. I'm putting the paints away. I'm going to enjoy the 4th of July holiday. What did you guys do for the holiday? Do they do fireworks? I'm sure Duxbury does fireworks, yeah?
1: Waterbury, the town nearest to us, does the... Not quite Independence Day fireworks, they schedule it the week and a half ahead. They do it on the Saturday before the Saturday before, oh, so funny. that they don't compete with other towns yeah, yeah, and yeah. they make a joke out of it. And that's it's hysterical. so we saw those, but then we went and visited Pooja's parents for the holiday. Oh, nice! And Anisha hadn't been back to Pooja's hometown, so that was the opportunity Aww. to introduce to aunties and uncles, big family and weekend, childhood friends, exactly. Oh,
0: very, very nice. Burlington does their fireworks on the 3rd, and the local towns do them on the 4th, and I was really, and and so were the group that I was sitting with, you know, you get your lawn on the green, you get your little picnic. I was really, I'm going to use the word appalled, at people's behavior. I had a picnic, and they were literally stepping right next to my food and on my blanket as they would cross in front of me. Like, we were not in an area that had, like, an aisle, and so... There were better paths to choose, and every now and again, we could look up to someone and be like, I'm sorry, but could you go that way instead, or could you please not step on our picnic? The groups that were around me were like, hey, why don't you take our cooler and put it here, and and we'll put this chair over there. They started creating blocks, right? Mm -hmm. People started moving the blocks to step on our blankets to cross to where they were, and it was like crazy. Went to the the Heinsberg fireworks the next night. Amazing. And I'm not saying like Burlington people are rude and Hinesburg people are polite, but I was just amazed at the difference. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. People were being so thoughtful and considerate. When kids would start yelling in excitement, you would hear parents say, Shh, or if you're going to yell, kids, go over there so you don't bother the people next to us. And you were just like, oh, my goodness. What is this lovely land of kind people and, like, thoughtfulness that I'm surrounded by? It was beautiful and wonderful. It totally made for
1: such a great night. Etiquette gold stars everywhere. It
0: was. It was. It was etiquette gold stars. Should we give out some more etiquette gold stars?
1: I love doing that.
0: Okay. Well, let's answer some questions. (laughs) Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing.
1: Awesome Etiquette is stoked to be answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: Our first question is titled, no cuts or backsies. And I chose this question particularly for my cousin Daniel. Let's listen.
1: Hello, Awesome Etiquette. My name is Tim. I'm sitting in traffic. The lane next to me is closing up ahead for some reason, and yet people keep passing me in an effort to get to the end and then squeeze in. What is my driver's etiquette as far as letting them in? I've been sitting patiently in line. Shouldn't they also? Tim, I thank you for your question and now understand why (laughs) my cousin Lizzie dedicated this question to me. This is one of my favorite (laughs) etiquette conundrums in life.
0: Also examples.
1: We use the example of driving oftentimes in our teaching scenarios and situations because they present such clear behavioral conundrums. And I think this question will resonate with a great, great many people out there. And I have found myself wrestling with this question. Well, Am I being a fool? Should I join these people? Should I jump into that open lane and go up to where the merge is forced or is happening naturally, depending on how you look at it? Or is it really their behavior that's bad and I should be patient and I should continue with this present course of action and hold myself accountable to a standard that I would hope everybody else would be holding themselves accountable to? (laughs)
0: Oh, the dilemmas we wrestle with on our commutes. And so many of you are commuting right now.
1: <laughs> this is also a particular question that has a uh, a manifestation in Vermont that's unique, where we have a two-lane highway, highway yeah. between two of our biggest cities. In fact, our only two sort of big cities and the this two lane highway sometimes has work being done on it particularly in the summer that's the season for that work to happen and the regular commuters know this work is happening and will start to line up before the merge of the two lanes to a single lane as much as a half mile ahead of the point where so the that merge means is required you
0: have an empty clear lane that is so insanely tempting to want to just long, bomb down a long
1: time and Oftentimes it's the regulars who are all lined up there and you'll see the cars racing by most of them have out of state plates <laughs> and you try not to sit there and make a judgment about that. And you try to say to yourself, no, this is really that they just aren't aware they of this know. particular courtesy or yeah. convention here. Sometimes the big trucks will come and hold that outside lane clear if they know what's going on, will will drop their speed to the speed of traffic of that single lane. But it's a particular and unique phenomenon here in Vermont that I haven't witnessed anywhere else. That is a, a really clear example of this.
0: <laughs> the moment that Tim is talking about is such an etiquette choice moment. Are you going to sit here in your car where you're stuck right now, judging and harping and assuming a lot about the person who has just done this? Or are you going to simply say, I'm here, they're there, you know, as we approach that merge, I'm going to let them go or I'm not going to let them go based on simply turn, you know, maybe it's my turn, maybe it's their turn, maybe I feel like it, maybe I don't. But it's that moment where you have an etiquette choice to make and a practical choice to make. And how you're going to do that is completely up to you.
1: Before we get into the etiquette advice, I want to start with a pre-bit of etiquette advice that says stay safe. The safety comes first. It's the most important thing, obviously, and particularly when you're in a car, safety is of utmost importance. So however you're feeling in a particular (laughs) situation, I, I would let that be my first guide. After that, I'm asking myself... What can I live with? (laughs) How am I going to feel about myself as a person really, truly, if I I get out of this lane and go up ahead and try to re-merge in again? And the answer is going to be different in different circumstances and situations. Sometimes you are really late. Sometimes there is something really pressing. Sometimes there is something that says, you know, I have something that's going to make me feel okay going up this half mile in Vermont or <laughs> six cars somewhere else. But I, I do a really concrete calculus. I yeah. say to myself, what do those six cars gain me? Yeah. And, and that's and, and the what question
0: is, I love, just so you know, what do those six cars gain me?
1: And what do they cost me? Yes. How do I feel about myself when I'm six cars up from here and I'm pushing my way back in? And if I'm aware of that other person who I'm pushing back in front of and how they're feeling about this situation and how I know it is treating the other people who are further delayed by the fact that it takes time to negotiate a merge, that the impacts are, are both to that person but to everybody down this line as well? So I, I think that's a personal calculus, but I think you're better off treating this as a question of personal calculus about yourself than as a question of judgment on those other people.
0: I like where you're going with that. I like where you're going with that because when you're judging someone who not only can you not, you don't know them at all, but there's also like you each have a car surrounding the two of you as a barrier of protection. Like you really don't know that person. You have no idea. There are so many times I'm driving along in this beautiful state of ours and I'm like, oh, happy me. Look, my lane's moving right along. Oh, of course, that's why my lane is moving right along. Crud, I just hit the Mert. Like, you know, you don't always realize that that stop traffic to the right is because something way up ahead like he just space out and like da, 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 da. I try to whenever I see that person you know zoom up from the left side you know or the right side depending on what lane is open for that merge I try not to say in my head oh what a jerk I try to instead say probably totally unaware like everyone's going to have to get through this merge at some point. Um, My mom actually always used to tell me this thing when I was learning to drive. And and I thought it was a really great example. Whenever someone would pass us or be really aggressive driver, and we're in town driving, you know, you'd pull up to the next light, and they'd be right there with you. So they did all this work to get around you or move faster only to be stopped at the next red light. She's like, we're all going to get there. And I just think that It's We're all going to get there. And in my head, I try to give as much leeway to that as possible. I try not to assume
1: or judge. Absolutely. The parting personal reflection advice that I want to offer here is that I think these are often ideal moments for a little bit of Mm self-reflection. That sometimes the moments when we're confronted with rudeness are... Uh, real opportunities in life to think about ourselves and our own behavior and to hold ourselves accountable as that thought, what a jerk, I can't believe this person is doing this. And maybe they are that kind of jerk. Maybe they're they're doing this on purpose and maybe they're thinking to themselves, look at all these chumps just sitting here while I execute this maneuver. Even if that person flying by you is that jerk, is that person who's sitting there thinking to themselves, what a bunch of chumps, I'm going to put one over on everybody here who's not (laughs) as importantly self-interested as I am. (laughs) I'm going to advise that you avoid rude gestures. Yes. I'm going to advise that you avoid even falling prey to that that side-eye glare that does nothing to really impact that other person, but just ends up impacting yourself.
0: As well as, like, obscenities and long horn blasts, right? Like, we're going to just say...
1: Take control of the things you can take control of. Don't be drawn down to their level. Take the high ground. Feel good about yourself. And I'm also going to just mention something that Lizzie Post introduced to our children's program many years ago. And that was her horn translator. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. There is one communication tool that is at your disposal when you're in the car that's really designed to be about communication between cars. And that's your horn. And there are appropriate and inappropriate uses. And that wailing on the horn... Expression of disapproval I think ends up impacting the other people waiting patiently in line around you as yes. much maybe more than the person who's moving past. And this isn't one of the places where I would choose to use my horn as my communication device either. Although there are appropriate uses for the horn. Lizzie Post, do you want to give us just a couple appropriate uses for the horn? Oh,
0: I love the one that we said you might just give a quick little beep that says, hey, Ricky, I see you there on the sidewalk. I'm waving. You know, like that the was one where Hi, do the, like little going? beep. Yeah, the hello. And that's just the like beep, 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 beep or something like that that lets you know. There's a quick little beep that's just a, uh the lights turned green and that's just a one beep from the person behind you if you're, like, sitting there.
1: The line's moving. I see you on your cell phone. Yeah,
0: exactly. And you just give that one little beep, and it's a friendly one. It's not the one that goes beep to try to get someone to go. It's just the beep. But when you do that, like, succession of quick beeps, that's like an excited, hi, like, yay, cheering kind of a thing. But when you start getting into that, mm, 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 that's where you're getting into territory of, I am expressing how displeased I am with you right now. And I want you to know it. And this is the language I'm using, my horn.
1: <laughs> and you want to keep that horn available for the real alert. Yes. Sometimes there's a danger warning. Be careful. And you want your horn to have that feel. Yeah. As strange as that may sound when you use it, rather than that feeling of disapproval. It really is a tool. It can be used well. It can be used poorly. And this isn't one of those times I would succumb to the poor use either.
0: Beep, 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 beep.
1: Tim, thank you so much for this question. We could go on and on about this one all day. And it might be nice if you're sitting there in traffic to hear that. But we have more questions to get to. (laughs) There are many kinds of signs and markers along the highway. Some of these are self-evident in their meaning. That is insurance against collision. Make your trip a pleasure rather than a hassle.
0: Our next question is titled, why are you here?
1: It begins. Hello. I was recently introduced to your podcast by my sister, and it just so happens that I have a workplace conundrum that I hope you can help me with. I work at a hospital, and my department at work just got brand new private offices, except for myself and a co-worker who occupy a shared space in the outpatient clinic. Our space has two unassigned desks where doctors can work when they are seeing patients in the clinic, usually one or two days a week. One of the doctors uses the unassigned desk on days when she isn't working in the clinic. Unfortunately, her presence is disruptive. She takes conference calls, listens to the radio without headphones, meets with other staff, and is chatty to the point of being disruptive. She left her bag in the middle of the floor one day, and I moved it to the side of the room. And instead of, oh, I'm sorry, thank you for moving it, she said, what, you didn't feel like walking around it anymore? She was joking. I get it. But it stayed with me, clearly. We are unable to complete our work efficiently when she is present and sometimes go elsewhere to work. We don't get it. She has her own brand new private space. It feels like a house guest that shows up unannounced and won't leave. Is there a way we can gently ask her to use her private office and only share our office when she's needed to see patients? My office mate and I have tossed around ideas about sending out something to everyone with some general guidelines about using our office, but we think this doctor might be the type who wouldn't actually read it or read it but not think it applies to her. Any advice you can give us would be greatly appreciated. All of my best. Trapped.
0: Wow, I'm totally with them. This is annoying and disruptive. But I like that Trapped is already thinking about uh, what would be effective, and I do know Trapped is female. And she uh, is taking into consideration the likelihood that this disruptive doctor might not do well with indirect contacts. So that I like the idea that they're thinking of... How could we do this in a way that kind of lets everyone know the rules for this space? But the problem is we don't think this particular doctor is going to pay attention. I'm glad she included the um, example of when she moved the bag and the doctor joked about it because it shows a very casual side to this doctor that, yes, I'm I'm not certain that this personality is... Going to clue in by general messages, but a a direct message might be what's needed. I'm not sure.
1: And and even that that direct message might be heard, but not heard. That there's a yeah. certain amount of communication that might skim on the surface and not register in a a, a way yeah. that it applies or is internalized. I think that's a really good awareness in this situation also. Yeah. The, the first thing that jumps to my mind is a real question about the nature of the shared space. Yeah. That there are these open desks that are sort of in some ways an invitation for more work. And, I, and I'm wondering to what extent this space, the word I want to use is belongs. Yes to the two people that are there most frequently, most often. And um, to what extent you've got some standing, some authority to talk about how that space is used, because it really would impact the way that I would proceed in this situation. And in some ways, I'm I'm leaning towards thinking this is more of that shared space in nature, and that means that you've got to approach it as a shared shared space space. and do a little more negotiating Mm -hmm. than directing or asking.
0: Even just hearing you say that made me uncomfortable only because I'm like, this is their, I wanted to immediately defend trapped in her office mate. I wanted to be like, no, this is their daily office, but it is a shared daily office. And so I think that the best course of action here is that you need to talk to your supervisor. Who set up this structure? Who is your superior? Who does manage where people's offices belong? I mean, I don't know if they're the same person. Your your, Your supervisor might not be the HR person who places people at desks. I don't know, but whoever it is that you should be going to, I would say go to that person and get the department's ruling on what are the rules, guidelines and expectations for this space. And then I would ask beyond that, what rules or guidelines or expectations are you and the person who occupy it every week allowed to set and then communicate to the doctors that are going to be rotating in and out? So, I think that's first. That gets you your groundwork so that you know what to communicate. Now, I think the department should send out a reminder to everyone about how to use the space. And what I think that Trapped and, and her coworker should do is put the guidelines for the space on the desks. That are there that are the unassigned desks so that when people come in, there is just that reminder of, you know, we don't play music out loud and we ask that you use headphones in this office uh, while you're here or when your outpatient work is finished it's best to go back to your own private office, that sort of a thing, or you know, conference calls are not allowed in this office, something like that. I mean, those are the types of things. Trapped, you're going to know better than any of us what the actual things you're going to need to put on this list are, but I would check with that supervisor first, and I would make sure that the list that you and your coworker come up with, if you're allowed to, is really something that's that's okay and seems fair to the rest of the department. So, I would, a little bit of coordination and a little bit of of explanation to people, and then if people aren't following it, you can go to your supervisor and say, listen, we have this one doctor that's really not following this. Could you please speak with
1: him or her? I think there's that option. Yeah. That supervisor might say, well, let's get you an office or let's well, change nice? the nature of it. Or it, it, there, there might be other, other solutions offices, that right? aren't even necessarily occurring to you that don't have to do with addressing that person's behavior that they might. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of talking to the co-worker, finding out if they're feeling the same way that you are oh, the, about the this. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really important information to communicate to that supervisor yes. when you're having that discussion, when you're talking to that person. I was imagining treading some middle ground also, Okay. that you might be able to talk to this doctor. And I keyed a little bit on the The informal nature of that exchange around, the oh, you didn't want to walk around this thing?
0: Yes, she has a lighthearted nature, clearly.
1: If you could keep it in that lighter space. And I think that oftentimes it's easier to do that if you do it sooner Mm -hmm. before resentment builds up over time or the list of grievances really grows that in that moment you might say no actually be really helpful if you could move it (laughs) and maybe that's that i'm already hearing in my tone if that was bad
0: dan's like no i will not say that in the future
1: (laughs) no no, i didn't want to step around it yeah but there there might even be a way to 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 pick up that ball Mm -hmm. and roll with it just a little bit that
0: Hey, at least we're in a hospital if I trip and break my arm. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> That's why you're the master of sample no, scripts and I am not. No, that is not. <laughs> I can't get away with that. But that was a lighter spirit. That okay, didn't yeah. sound scolding or condescending. Yeah. And <laughs> everything that I was just saying started to get into that. Territory <laughs> despite saying that I think you could address this and thinking about the nature of this, I, I agree with you. I, I really feel for this person. I think this I is rude too. behavior and I think it's impacting are questioner enough that they're in good territory thinking about how to address it. I and I, you going right to the supervisor is one option. But if you wanted to talk to that person directly, the advice that we often give on the show is primal. Yeah. Ask them if...
0: Ask permission, you always say.
1: We'd like to talk with you about using the shared space. The we If you've talked to your coworker already, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, not, yeah. I, I <laughs> would like to talk with you about... The way we share the space, use the fact that it's a new space, that people are figuring out what the standards and norms are to open that conversation up. We're all new to this, and I'm trying to figure out a way to make this work. Other language that's often great for that conversation. You might not be aware of this, but when you're taking a conference call, it makes it difficult for me to do my work. I've found myself going other places when I need to focus to get work done and it would be easier if I could do that here. Mm -hmm. Letting someone else know how their behavior is impacting you. You haven't yet asked her to do anything and I would be really careful about making specific requests of this other person. I think there's a a phase of introducing this conversation where you're just letting them know and you're going to let them start to moderate their own behavior and that might be the place where there's the middle territory where you're less likely to offer offense and the feedback or the discussion might be received in a way that's a little bit more likely to get a good response. If they ask questions of you, well, would this help? I would be willing to offer those suggestions. I would have a, a, a list of things in my mind that would be helpful.
0: Oh, have, have a list that would be helpful. But also, I thought you were going to go the other way with that one. I thought you were going to say that if the offending doctor is offering some suggestions for what might help or what what she could do, it might not be the right suggestion. And that can create an awkward moment, you know, when you say someone else has an idea about how to solve this problem and you don't like the idea that comes. Use your positive noncommittal responses, your PNCs. So, you might say something like, let me take a minute to think about how that would how that would flesh out or how that would work, you know, and and that gives you the space to entertain the idea. I am often very resistant to other people's suggestions in the moment. So I use that PNC to give myself time to absorb, because often I find the next day I'm like, oh, wait, that would work.
1: Be ready to negotiate. Yeah. Be ready to listen. Be ready to hear solutions that aren't the ones that you would come up with. My other advice for getting ready for this conversation is to think about your top priorities and your bottom lines. Yes. So think about the things that would really be the most helpful. If you can focus the conversation on particular things, if we could avoid playing music without headphones and taking conference calls, you might not be able to ask someone not to have work-related discussions. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to ask someone not to come work in what is a shared space. They Correct. might just like it better than their office. And as much as you would prefer that they work in their private office as much as they can... They might find this a space that's more conducive to whatever it is they need to get done for whatever reason. But I do think you could ask for things like no conference calls, no radio being played in yep. those shared spaces because the nature of the shared space allows you to ask for those things. So top priorities, bottom lines, things that are going to be deal breakers, be ready to share those if someone's like, well, well, really, what's the, what's the problem here? If there is something that you can really identify, then that's also going to be the thing that if you go the route of talking to a supervisor, I would have – both of those concepts in mind, also my my absolute limits and my top priorities.
0: So there you go, trapped. Lots to work with, lots of options for moving this forward in a variety of ways, and we hope that your work situation gets a lot more
1: focused. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about unpleasant guests who will not be invited back. (laughs)
0: I like that you put a question mark on that. I was thinking statement unpleasant guests will not be invited back. I like I feel like I want to champion for hosts out there who just get stepped on by nasty people. Like, And I get it. I, there are people in my life that I'm not particularly fond of, but you still keep around and they're in your... so. You know, it's like it happens. You deal with it. You do it. But at the same time, I think people should be allowed to set boundaries in their own homes. Greetings from Annapolis, Maryland, the sailing capital of the world. I have a question for you that may have been addressed in a previous episode. I have a group of guy friends with whom I like to hang. Usually in the summer, we do a cookout at my house. Obviously, spouses are invited, too. We're all in our 40s. The problem is the spouse of one of my friends is very obnoxious. She comes across as too good to be socializing with her husband's friends. She also is very critical of the host, the location, and the other guests. She gives these criticisms without being asked her opinion. I personally do not like having her in my house. My friend, her husband, seems oblivious to her actions. I want to do another cookout this summer with the same guests. My concern is that the other guests will say, if Larry's wife is coming, we're not. Um, That's not his name. But should I not have the cookout? Should I just not invite Larry? I know I can't invite him and not her. So please advise. I just want to say, first off the bat, that I love that the word "whom" and "hang" are so closely in used in one sentence, and it just totally put a smile on my face. Proper grammar meets modern slang. <laughs> Second thought is just this is gross. I don't want that guest at my party either. And
1: I, I'm thinking, "Love is blind," or yes. maybe put more positively, <clears throat> we we often see the ones we love through a certain lens, <laughs> and those are some very rose-colored glasses. Indeed,
0: like the the woman that's being that, that we're saying isn't the good the good etiquette person in this scenario. She is literally going to someone else's house and saying what she doesn't like about the host, what she doesn't like about the house, and what she doesn't like about the guests. I I don't know, Dano. For me, this is really cut and dry. You don't invite her back. Like
1: before I even go there, I
0: know, but I just want to get there
1: before I even All right, go there. Give us
0: some more points and thoughts.
1: I want to say, please, everyone out there who is. Hitch. Take note. Make an effort. Make an effort with your significant other's friends. It matters. It's important because some of the etiquette advice that we're going to get to hinges on the fact that a spouse or a significant other... Is a price of admission that you you can't invite someone and not invite their spouse. Correct. That when you're talking about a wedding invitation, which is oftentimes where I go for when I <laughs> sort of look for my standard of formality that I it sets my standards for how I treat an invitation, you have to invite spouses, you have to invite long term partners. You can't say you can come and they can't. Right. And you
0: could do an all guys' night. That's okay. You all do that. Don't wince. You know, in all guys night and all all girls night, that's totally fine. Yes. Yeah. As but you that's des- not what this party is.
1: Send down a scale of formality into a particular type of party yeah. and because you're part of the price of admission, make an effort. It yeah. really is worthwhile. So let's jump back to the okay. other side of I the equation. I just can't keep
0: myself with it. <laughs> Dan's like Lizzie. I'm trying to give good advice here, and I'm like, no, no, no. Just kick her out of the party.
1: <laughs> well, and, and bottom line, I agree with you a thousand percent. No, I know, I you're know. a host. It's your prerogative. You get to decide. And certain behavior is deal breaker behavior. Yeah, you just don't want that person there. You don't want them at the barbecue. You don't want them part of that. Whatever it is, and. That's how you get not invited back. And there are consequences to our behaviors and our actions. It's why rude behavior... Is worth paying attention to. And it's not always something someone's going to tell you about. This is a great example of, you just don't get that invitation the next time. You don't. They're not going to check in with you and be like, oh, it was the behavior of your spouse. Oh, it was your behavior that got you not invited as a couple. People don't always do that. No, they they don't even ask why they weren't invited.
0: Every now and again, you get someone who does, though. But my more generous thought is, how bad was it really? You know, was it just, yeah, she's obnoxious, so everyone will take turns talking to her and then find someone else to talk to? Because let's face it, that that happens in all of our social scenes. Some people are just unpleasant and you just have to deal with the fact that they're going to be there. But was it so bad that you figuratively can't stand the thought of her? Like, like, I mean, was it that bad? (laughs) Um, If it is that bad, you're the host and you should never be made to feel uncomfortable or insulted in your own home. That to me, the the fact that she's insulting the host whose home she's in, that to me is like grounds for no, she just doesn't get invited Mm -hmm. back no matter what. And if Larry called to ask, I would say, listen, you know, my feelings were really hurt last year. Uh, Caitlin was really saying a lot of things that made me feel uncomfortable in my own home. And I I would love to have you guys come back, but I couldn't trust that that wasn't going to happen again. And, you know, maybe we could get together some other time or in a different way, or maybe it's best if you guys host instead. I don't know.
1: Master of sample scripts. I really like that language.
0: That ho- did you? Because I felt like it was a little harsh. but
1: Harsh but honest. Okay. And I, I think you're you're telling someone why they've asked the way yeah. you premised that. They said, you know, this is going on. Why aren't we invited? And this is your good friend in the couple. You can tell them, tell them how you felt. And you also started from a place of the offense was one where you really did feel insulted. And you do need to set boundaries that that you can take responsibility for. And I think those are all reasonable things to do. In that more sort of marginal Generous territory, charity. somewhere yeah, in yeah, yeah, between, yeah. I, I also mm-hmm. like your idea that sometimes it's about sucking it up. Sometimes yep. it's about, you know, I, I, I care about Larry. I want him there. We're going to give the partner another chance. And yep. it's going to be part of my test as a host. How I handle that, how I don't let that affect my mood, how even if I can't control or regulate their behavior, I can control and regulate my responses Mm -hmm. and I won't let it ruin the party for me. I'll be mentally prepared for an inappropriate comment, a side whatever thought that that I can put away and say, you know, that's just her and I'm not going to take it personally and – But there's another sort of point of etiquette that I found you sort of tiptoeing up to, which is responsibility as a host for your other guests. Yes. That um, it does impact those other people. And the question asked, well, I'm concerned that other people are going to say, is this person going to be coming? Mm -hmm. And there's a point of etiquette there that they shouldn't be asking that of you. You don't want to base your decision making on uh, anticipated rudeness from another guest. Mm -hmm. But to avoid that rudeness, there's a certain responsibility on you also to not invite someone who's a, complete bore who Mm -hmm. is going to make the experience (laughs) unpleasant for everyone. Part of them not asking is that they're going to trust you to put together an affair that's something they would want to be at. And if you repeatedly invite someone who insults not just you, the host, but other guests and the friend circle in general, then you're not taking good care as a host. So there is that etiquette concern. I don't think it's just about self-preservation or I don't want to be around this person. Mm -hmm. I think when you're thinking about your host prerogative Mm -hmm. that Thinking about taking care with your other guests is part of that host prerogative.
0: I couldn't agree more. Anonymous, we hope that this helps you out with your party when it does come time to decide if you're going to throw it or not this year. And we do hope that you're able to find ways to get together with your friend and maybe even get to know his wife better so that she isn't as as likely to make these types of comments. Because maybe it just takes getting to know some people for this type of situation to diffuse for the future. But for right now, it's your choice whether you invite them or not. You've got some sample language for if they ask. Ask why they weren't invited, and you've got some mental preparation if you choose to invite them.
1: Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure
0: you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought I wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to act.
1: Our next question is, sorry, not sorry, but really sorry. Dear Lizzie and Dan, My father could be a difficult man, and as a result, my mom, sister, and I all now have the habit of apologizing for everything, including things that are beyond our control. Traffic's bad, we apologize for it. It's raining on vacation, we're sorry. The store is out of your favorite ice cream flavor, sorry. My husband has helped me to realize how often I apologize for things. For example, having to grab my sunglasses from my car is not a reason to apologize. I am working on apologizing only for the things that require an apology. But I've realized there is a kind of apology I use to mean that I sympathize. If my husband tells me about something going wrong during his workday, I'll respond with, I'm sorry. When I really mean that I wish that hadn't happened or I'm trying to validate his feelings because what happened was truly awful. And so I'm reaching out to the master etiquette wordsmiths to give me another way or ways to communicate on unfortunate incidents that are beyond my control and still let the other person know I hear them and care about them. Thank you for putting so much good out into the world with your wonderful podcast. Best. Sorry, not sorry.
0: Uh, I love this. This, this is, is a, a great question. question. This is something um, I do think it falls. We're going to go gender here. Women in particular fall prey to this, I think, um, and are becoming more aware of it. This is a subject we've seen pop up in the news over the past five years. Lots of great articles have been written about it. So if you're getting curious about the use of sorry, definitely do a little Internet digging. You might find some fun. People in general overuse the phrase I'm sorry and. Yet somehow we have a really hard time using it for one of its main purposes, which is to apologize. Maybe those two like, things are related. I don't know what the deal is with that. It. It's interesting. The whole other show when it comes to apologies, right? You're right. Sorry isn't just used for random filler phrases or for ac- accepting blame. Um, you are right that it's used for expressing sympathy. I honestly think that it is one of the, the nicest things to communicate to someone that you understand the feelings or the experience or the situation that they're telling you about and that you sympathize with them. Validation is such an insanely powerful tool in our interactions with one another. And one thing that I can't stand is when you say, I'm sorry, because someone's going through something difficult and they turn around and say, well, it's not your fault. And you're like going, yeah, I know that <laughs> like I didn't cause you to get divorced, but like, I'm sorry you're going through this. And that's what you need to do to make your I'm sorry, not an apology of accepting blame, but instead a sympathy is that you explain what you're sympathizing with. You can say, I am so sorry that that was your day to day. I'm so sorry you experienced this. I'm so sorry you're going through this right now. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry they didn't have your ice cream. That's a bummer. You know, it's not, a. you aren't taking blame every time you say that. I'm sorry. I do think my mom does something that I wanted to share about this one that I I like is that she actually, when she wants to say something sympathetically, she says, you know, oh, I feel badly for you. And it's said very sincerely. It's not like, oh, I feel badly for you. It's not like that. It's really sympathetic and sincere. And what she is choosing to do is express her feelings. I feel is what she starts. I feel sad for you. I feel sorry for you. I'm so sorry that happened. She uses it all to kind of come together and let someone know she's trying to be sympathetic.
1: I want to key on that sincerity. So important. We talk about magic words and the power of magic words. The words themselves aren't magic. It's the sincerity. It's the way that we use them that really matters. And it's not just the way that you use it, the structure of the sentence, the words before and after, although I really like that idea of Putting some words after it that give it some
0: it helps that,
1: that give it some more yeah. specificity because it lets people know they 've been heard it 's part of that validating process, but it 's also the way the word is spoken, the yep. feeling and the connection with which it 's delivered, and that sincerity c- can 't be replaced. It comes from really intentional use from connected use it, it comes from looking at someone uh, making that eye contact, being present with them. Little things like your posture, <laughs> the way that you're yeah. holding your head, the Facial way that expression. your face yeah. is is connected to what you're saying. And you are going to be in that good territory because you're thinking about dehabitualizing <laughs> yeah. the use of sorry. You're really being intentional about how you use it. So I think that's that's territory that you're going to discover just as you really connect your words to the meaning that they convey and do that yeah. with intention. I also like paying attention to the words that are around it i also gave some advice recently about the use of exclamation
0: points
1: (laughs) that made me think about something in response to your question as well and that's that don't underestimate the power of your words say the thing that you mean you don't always need the exclamation point to add the excitement you can say i'm so excited to hear that you don't always need the I'm sorry like the exclamation point of sympathy. I'm getting you can what you're doing. say I sympathize with you. That <laughs> I I truly I really sympathize with you. I understand. That must have been difficult. Um
0: Yeah, That hasn't happened to
1: me in a long time. I I need
0: to break in and just say, I love that you're using the actual word. What are you? I'm sympathetic to what you're going through. So I'm going to tell you that I am so sympathetic to that. I'm so sorry. Or I'm empathetic, if that's what you need. I have so much empathy for this. I have so much sympathy for this. I like like that, Dan.
1: (laughs) Your question really focuses on validating someone. Let them know they've been heard. You can say something like, I don't know how I would have responded to that. (laughs) That must have been... Really tough. That must have been difficult. Oh boy, I faced something like that a while ago. It made me feel sad. It made me feel disrespected. It made me feel like my day was never going to end. That, that, that there are. Although, all, don't
0: totally turn their tragedy around to being your story. Not right. always. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> in
1: in the range of options that yeah. you have in front of you, another option, and this is in the territory of my mother. We seem to be giving a lot of advice that that came from, from our mothers, mothers today, and I, I I love that because I think that everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten, yep. my mother often turns it into a teaching moment. Of course. So if I am hearing about something that went badly for someone and it's not just territory where I want to sympathize, but I really want to continue to help. discuss and help and mm-hmm. participate in that way, is there anything I could do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is something else that you might say? You, you let them know they've been heard and then offer to help? Mm-hmm. Or in my mother's teaching voice, oh, that sounds really difficult. Is there anything that you would do differently tomorrow to keep that from happening again? Mm -hmm. Asking questions of them about the experience, about their reaction to the Mm -hmm. experience, about – sometimes someone just wants to be heard. Sometimes they really want help. Mm -hmm. And depending on the – type of thing asking that they're expressing. What they
0: need from you is always a good idea so that you know how to participate. Absolutely. One thing I do want to mention before we close Sorry Not Sorry out is one of Sorry Not Sorry's examples was I don't need to apologize for running back to get my sunglasses. And that was one that actually stuck in my head is no, that's not like a big egregious error that you have to heavily apologize for. But my father will constantly say if he had to go back and check that the coffee maker got turned off or that we shut all the doors in the house, something like that. He said, sorry, I just wanted to double check. And I do think that's actually okay because it's time related. You've got I'm picturing people like, you know, everyone's driven somewhere. They're piled out of the car. They're headed to the restaurant, the amusement park, the whatever. And you've got to run all the way back to the car for your sunglasses, even if it's just a little bit. I don't think a quick, sorry, just had to grab that. Thanks for your patience, guys. I just don't think that's offensive or like wrong or heavily taking blame for sorry's can be light and you can use sorry's for light things too It's it's okay minor
1: impositions
0: minor impositions it's okay to say sorry and you're not taking heavily on that blame sorry not sorry we hope that helps and we're sorry if this answer was too long
1: As always, thank you so much for your questions. You can send your next question, update, or comment to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And we had three comments that came in via Facebook in regards to episode 142, where a salesperson got quite upset with one of our listeners for the listener not having responded to the sales emails that went to a spam folder.
1: Marty writes, Hi, love the podcast, but hopefully you get a lot of these comments regarding your answer to the person who got a rude email saying they had not replied. And because this can be really bad, I wanted to be sure people understood that if an email is from a person or company they don't know, it is most likely computer-generated email to get exactly this response, confirming that this is a valid email address and will now put you on many, many, many junk email lists. If you do not know the person or company and have not subscribed, do not reply. Unless you really don't care. (laughs) I, too, periodically review my junk to be sure something I really want isn't in there. Junk filters are getting more and more clever, but the spam people are getting cleverer and cleverer as well. Please caution your listeners to be careful. Thank you, Marty. Oh,
0: I like it. Trevor writes... Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for a wonderful podcast. I look forward to it each week. As much as I enjoy the Lizzie and Dan combo, it is great to hear from your family members as well. How lucky you are to have generations of etiquette wisdom and how lucky we, your listeners, are that you share it so well. Thank you so much. Our family members, just so you know, we're really excited to be on the show this past couple of months. And I believe I walked into the office yesterday and Peter heard Dan and I talking about the podcast and said, oh, well, you guys don't need any guests anymore, do you? And he was sad about it. So I think we we might be bringing them back more often. <laughs> I felt inclined to add a different perspective on the question asked in episode 142. You made it perfectly clear that not responding to unsolicited emails is not at all rude and offered a possible polite reply. Either this is a very thin-skinned salesperson, or it has nothing to do with hurt feelings. Some salespeople have a very bad practice of using guilt as a marketing technique. I wholeheartedly agree with your usual advice that it is best to meet rudeness with kindness. However, I would like to caution that writing back any form of apology plays into what this person wanted to begin with. Knowledge that this is a working email address a foot in the door, and manipulating the potential client into feeling a need to make amends. For folks using unprofessional practices, the best response may be no response. I hope I don't sound jaded. I know most salespeople are simply doing their jobs and letting others know about their product or service. I've just seen this form of manipulation before and hate to see kind people made to question themselves. Your faithful listener, Treva. Another good point.
1: Absolutely. About the... I like all of these comments. One addresses the safety of replying to emails that you don't know, that oftentimes they're spam, they're phishing to get that reply to validate your existence, that also there are salespeople that prey on natural human emotions. Yep. And that- You got to be careful. If you feel manipulated and it's not something you've asked for, that you're not obliged to reply or respond.
0: Absolutely. Finally, Manuel wrote in-
1: As a sales professional, I was particularly irked by the salesperson's tone in the email that my fellow listener received. Not hearing back from a prospect is in the nature of a sales job, especially when sending emails such as these. It is certainly not rude to ignore them. Most salespeople are used to this. That said, asking to be removed from a mailing list or simply stating that you are not interested can save one from a lot of headache, as salespeople are often required to make a specific number of calls or emails when trying to get hold of you. We have a saying that a no is as good as a yes. In their defense, most entry-level salespeople are either fresh out of college or trying to begin a career in a new field. They are simply doing a job, and most of them truly believe that their product will improve your life in some way. Who knows? It may be just the thing you never knew you needed. Thanks for the great podcast. I'm glad that Dan is back and little Anisha is doing well. Manuel. Thank you, Manuel.
0: I just have to say, after reading Manuel's comment, I love the fellow listener. Like, I just felt like we have this community who's ready to support, and, like, they're standing up for each other, and they're saying, like, no, you don't have to take this crud, you can do this and that. I just, I like... I like it. I like how it feels like a community supporting and saying, yes, you don't have to uh, take this type of rudeness when you receive it via email.
1: I also like Manuel saying that salespeople, the the, the disattachment, the emotional um, maturity to understanding the nature of the profession, that it's sometimes about getting the no, sometimes it's an impersonal process Mm -hmm. and that it's just about a certain number of touches or contacts and they're not thinking of it personally. You don't need to take it personally.
0: Thank you so much for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Think about uh, programming that number into your phone so that you've got us on speed dial and can ask your questions anytime.
1: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about the well-stocked bar –
0: well, well, liquor is what they—that's like they're the what they serve automatically if you don't specify something. So it's a well-stocked bar. Haha. <laughs> no,
1: Lizzie Post, you are definitely coming in over my head once again. It's a really <laughs> stupid pun. It's not a good one
0: because it is like a well-stocked bar. A bar should be stocked really well and not just with well.
1: <laughs> I got you now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was a stretch. All right. Well. We wanted to bring you a Postscript segment about setting up your home bar. It's kind of a thing. And it's really amazing how a well-stocked bar makes it so easy for a host to entertain on the fly. It also can be something that you just simply enjoy in your home on a regular basis. If you're someone that likes to come home, have a glass of wine, have a drink at the end of the night, end of the day, you know, it's nice to have this set up and a space and all the supplies. So we thought we would go through what a well-stocked bar looks like. You can find all of this information in our book Great Get-Togethers. It's on pages 106 to 108. I wanted to start by saying, number one, you should always stock and serve what you're comfortable with. If that's a full bar with all the trimmings, or if that's a non-alcoholic bar with all the trimmings, the choice is up to you. You can always let guests know that they may bring their own alcohol to your home, but they must take it out when they go. If you don't want to have alcohol in your home, if you don't want it consumed at all, you don't have to serve it and you don't have to suggest anyone bring it. I just really want to put that disclaimer out there. You can set up your bar to be ready all the time, or you can put out only what you'd like to serve for certain events. So when you're thinking about how you want to manage your bar at your home, when I was growing up, we had a bar station that was kind of ready all the time. And then when my parents did a little kitchen renovation and thing, that went away. And now they set up a bar station every time we do a party or something like that. So you have options. Think about what's going to work best for you in your home based on your space. And speaking of space, you definitely want to think about where you're going to set your bar up. You want to make sure that it's in an area that's easy to access. You don't want it to be kind of trapped in a corner where you'll have like five people around it and no one can get there. Or it's awkward then once you have that drink and think about a martini glass like that could easily spill and you're trying to walk through five people to get out of it.
1: I'm thinking about the the obvious first choice, the kitchen that you just mentioned, but oftentimes a little area next to a or a room where people do entertaining.
0: You got it. Right in the living room sometimes. The
1: incredible cliche these days of having that furnished basement that has a bar and entertainment center. Yep. Um, another really common place to, to set up that bar.
0: Absolutely. You might be doing outdoor entertaining, though, so you're going to bring your bar outside. I mean, there are... Options abound. You can have more than one bar sometimes. But the real key here is to make sure that people can flow in and out of the area easily with room to breathe and that the actual height and surface of the table, that you think about that. I think it's really important to consider the space that you're going to be putting all this stuff on and make sure it's at a comfortable height for people to be fixing drinks. A bar that's too high is awkward to pour and mix at. A bar that's too low, people are bending over and that's awkward too. So kind of think of that hip height as something really good to be looking We'll cut
1: down on the messes.
0: Yes, exactly. But a lot of people use a sideboard, sometimes a, a separate table. We had a hutch for years. Other times now in our in my parents' house, it's just a counter. I have actually a bureau that my bar is on at my house. So that's like, it's, you know, different people set it up different ways, but definitely take into consideration the comfort and ease of people using this space. Equipment. It's really important to have the proper equipment. Now, you can get away with not having a lot of this stuff. You really can. I mean, most of us can can pour things into a glass pretty easily, and that's really all you need. But if you want to have the full setup, you would have a jigger, which measures your alcohol pours. You would want a corkscrew, a bottle opener ice bucket and tongs or a large spoon or scoop is often really great for ice as well. Sometimes those tongs just take forever to pull, pull out piece by piece. You want to think about having a, a shaker for mixing cocktails, a long handled cocktail spoon or stirrers for people to be able to mix their drinks with, a paring knife and a small cutting board. My favorite is the mention of a clean bar towel. If you're not pre-slicing limes or, you know, if it's a hot day, there's a lot of condensation on all the bottles, it is really nice to have a clean towel for guests to wipe their hands off of once they take their drink and leave. You want to have pitchers for water and mix bases like Bloody Mary mix or margarita mix. You want to have cocktail picks for any other garnishes that you might be using and little bowls for those garnishes. If you're really going to go for it, sure, set up your blender, but it's not a
1: necessary item by any means. Glassware and my second favorite item, just about anywhere, paper goods.
0: I love that you and my sister are obsessed with paper goods. It's so much fun because you guys always know exactly where to go for everything. So, glassware, general guideline, you want around three glasses per person and about three to four cocktail napkins per person. And you might think that sounds crazy, but it's amazing how many times guests decide to switch the drink they're having and want a fresh glass. Or they just, if they're like me, you set it down, you forget about it, you go eat some food, you talk to someone, and then you have no idea where your glass is or if it was yours. And
1: I go about double the number of napkins.
0: Yes, totally. But again, paper goods. Paper goods, paper goods. Now, if you're Serving Just sangria for the night You don't need to put out three wine glasses You know if you have one mixed drink that you're serving For this particular party Just stick with that glass You probably do two glasses per person just in case So here we go all the bar glasses that you might use at your bar. We have white wine, red wine, champagne flutes or coupes. Flutes will keep your champagne fizzy or longer, carbonated longer. Uh, coupes are just very old-fashioned and they're 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 really hard to actually hold and have the champagne stay in it. It goes flat quickly, but my gosh, they're fun. Rocks glasses, old-fashioned glasses, and tumblers are all kind of short, stout glasses, and they are great for serving all kinds of cocktails and mixed drinks or just straight-up liquor on the rocks. Highball glasses are taller and usually a bit narrow, They are also great for a multitude of cocktails and drinks. Pint or Pilsner glasses are classics. Often they're a part of your everyday glassware. I've noticed that. Most people just have pint glasses they drink out of all the time. Most commonly, you're going to use them for beer.
1: I oftentimes keep those in the freezer so they're a little bit chilled.
0: Great idea. You might also do that with beer mugs if you're a fan of the beer mug. Martini glasses. They range in size, so pick what you like. Some people like the really big ones, other like the very small ones. It's really up to you, the host. Uh, Less common, but still great to have on hand, margarita glasses, sherry glasses, and shot glasses. Typically, unless you're serving like a limoncello after dinner or something like that, you're not going to have your guests really sipping and drinking out of shot glasses that way, unless you're doing shots. A neat trick for your cocktail napkins, just for, for style and points here, is you take your stack, make it nice and square, and then holding it in the palm of one hand, take your knuckle and press and twist clockwise into the center of the stack and do that a few times. You'll start seeing the stack fan out into a nice... Um, spiraled <laughs> design. It looks really nice. It's a, it's a pretty pattern. You do want to think about having mixers on hand. It's funny. Everyone seems to remember to buy the booze, but they forget to buy the mixers that go with it. So, good things to have on hand at all times. Tomato juice. Clamato juice, which is clam and tomato juice. That's a Dan's like, oh, la, la, but it's in almost every Bloody Mary mix that you have. <laughs> Cranberry juice. Any fresh citrus juices. Tonic water. Seltzer water. Club soda. Beyond this, There are now so many fun options for juices Flavored waters, essences Um, You can really keep it simple Or you could choose to go
1: wild and have fun It's totally up to you and my favorite part, the other ingredients and garnishes. <laughs> <Ingrediences>, <laughs> so, I like that. Bitters, which I absolutely love. I'm a bitters person. You I are. love coffee you are. and dark chocolate. Bitters, so good. Don't underestimate the power of bitters. Worcestershire sauce, don't make me say Worc- that twice.
0: Worcestershire?
1: Um, Season salt, Tabasco, or hot sauce. I like my Bloody Marys way too hot. I actually like them Virgin Marys. <laughs> Lime juice, grenadine, lemons, limes, oranges, citrus. And really finally, not to be forgotten in all of our talk <laughs> right? about bars, the, the liquor itself. So which alcohols are sort of oftentimes considered standards, good to keep on hand if you are thinking of yourself as having a stocked liquor bar, vodka and vermouth, sweet and dry, rum, scotch, bourbon, tequila gin, triple sec. Nice to have a champagne or a sparkling wine to turn to if the occasion calls for it. For wine, obviously red and white, maybe a rosé if you like, and beers for people who would prefer beer.
0: And there you have it. That is the well-stocked bar. It's a lot of fun to pull these items together. It's a lot of fun to break them out for your guests. I am a huge advocate of the cocktail party. I wish it would come back. I love the idea of having, you know, a few drinks with friends and then getting to go and do the rest of my evening, however I choose. So I'm an advocate of this. Please, awesome etiquette audience, get out there, stock your alcoholic or non-alcoholic bars and have fun entertaining with your friends. (laughs) Salute. And now salute.
1: Personally, I don't care one way or the other about drinking, but it's all right with me if other people want to. That is if they behave themselves. And now for our salute. We like to end our show on a high note. (laughs) So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today's salute begins. Hi there, Lizzie and Dan, and everyone at the Emily Post Institute. Thank you so much for making such a lovely podcast. Your approach to etiquette is incredibly refreshing and doesn't only make the world a bit sweeter, but also helps improve the people in it by having them practice consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: I swear we're going to make the world a nicer place, all of us together.
1: Speaking of wonderful people, I have an etiquette shout-out to two of my dear friends. My friends and I are finishing our time in graduate school and moving away. Mm. While my friends will be in town for a bit longer, I was moving and was selling my furniture this week. The day I was planning on leaving, my friends and I went to get sodas and snacks. This was already an act of kindness because they were willing to work around my schedule and just wanted a simple way to spend time together. Mm. While there, someone messaged me saying they'd be willing to take my couch and mattress, two tough items to sell, but they couldn't pick it up for a couple of days. I was reading the message aloud, and before I could even finish, my two friends offered to meet up with the person, let her into my apartment, help her get the furniture, and send me the money. This was such a kind and thoughtful gesture, especially when it turned out to be an early morning pickup. Their willingness to help out really put my mind at ease. This is especially because I didn't feel terrible having them do this because I knew that they were offering from a place of joy and love, not frustration or obligation. These two friends are consistently wonderful, but during this especially stressful time, this example was really touching. I will miss these friends as we all go our separate ways, but am confident that the world is a better place for having them in it. In our friendships, we try to consistently practice consideration, respect, and honesty, which is why our friendship has blossomed and why I'm so grateful to have them in my life. It is also why I am confident our friendships will continue to grow even when we're apart Thank you for making the world a little brighter with your message sincerely B
0: I love that
1: and B thank you for making I our know. world just a little bit brighter That is one of the most lovely salutes I think I've ever had the pleasure to, Can I just to read in here
0: How nice is it for someone who has two friends doing a favor for them for that person receiving the favor to assume joy and love. And not frustration or inconvenience. It's so often we think that when someone does something for us, we have to feel badly that they took the time. And I love that she is assuming and knowing and feeling joy and love coming from her friends of this. It makes it so much easier to have just keep all of this interaction positive rather than make it like, a, I'm so sorry you had to do that. Da-da-da-da-da. Thank you so much. You know,
1: oh. This was wonderful. This salute rings to me of joyful sadness. Yes. That there is clearly a sort of a little bit of a, a hint of sadness in a parting, and yet the parting is is happening so well. These are people that care for each other. They will clearly continue to care for each other. This parting doesn't mean the end of a friendship, but it's a transitional time. I think that we would never miss anyone if we didn't love people. So these two feelings often come together, and I think they're so well integrated in the way this, this salute is offered. Um Be really thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us and with everyone out there.
0: And thank you for listening.
1: Thank you to everyone who sent us something.
0: You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com.
1: By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post.
0: And I'm at Lizzie A. Post.
1: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
0: Please help us out. Tell a friend about our show. We would love for you to sign up some of your other friends and help make this world a nicer place. You can also help out by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app.
1: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, and we love to say, Thanks, Thanks you, Chris. Chris. You're the only one who hasn't stated his opinion.
0: I'm just listening.